Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Greg Crumpton. He's the vice president at Service Logic. So, Greg, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. I am so glad to be here. A couple of my favorite topics, we get to talk about people, we get to talk about entrepreneurship, we get to talk about skilled trades and how all that is blended together in my world. So really looking forward to having a having a good chat. Absolutely. I mean, if I'm just looking at your background, did you start in the field on the HVAC side or did you start somewhere else? No, I started in the field. I'm a second generation tradesperson. My dad was in the industry. Many of my uncles are in the industry. So it was natural for me to be exposed to the trades as a young kid. I was probably the only one in my eighth grade that could braise copper tubing together. So I got a a really early exposure. I got out of high school when I was 17. That was partly because I was born early and partly because they were probably ready to get rid of me. So I got out early. I do have a certificate that I got out, so I'm legal. And then I went into the union apprenticeship in the Atlanta, Georgia area with the uh, plumbers, pipe fitters, and service technicians and worked through a four-year apprenticeship, going to school at night, two nights a week, and then working during the day at a great mechanical contractor in the Atlanta market, McKinney's Incorporated. I've been there. I was there a long time, but a great company. Moved throughout the ranks of service tech, project manager, did all the stuff there, eventually became a fractional owner of that company. So yeah, I've done it all on the contracting side, working for other people. Then in uh, 1997, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. The company had a a small office in Charlotte. They wanted to kind of retool it. I moved up there, worked with a lady who ran the construction business. I ran the service business, learned a ton, uh, did that for a couple of years. And then in 99, Uh, My wife and I started our own company, mechanical service company in the Charlotte market. So that's kind of the the springboard for a lot of cool other stuff that has happened. Yeah. So I always wonder when you start your own company, was that part of the plan? Like, were you thinking a few years out, is that progressing or did it happen more quickly? No, it's weird. And I tell this story. I keep a notebook with me. I'm in a truck right now, as you can tell. I think I spent my whole life in a truck, but I carry a notebook around all the time. And when I was in the field, I carried a notebook around, a little black book, and I wrote down stuff that I either had questions about. And I usually took those questions to my father, who was my mentor, my coach, my dad, my union apprenticeship instructor and my boss. So, and we fished together for God's sake. So he was like six people, you know, to me, I would take the questions to him and say, tell me why we're doing this or why we're doing that. And then on things that I thought were stupid as a young kid, you know, when I'm in my early twenties, I wrote those down. Like I will not do blank. I guess the culmination of the questions and the, the things that I didn't think made sense for a company to do, I kind of took all that as the basis of, yes, we're going to start a company. We actually named the company 10 years before the company was birthed 
So it was a long time in the making. Wow. Did you say 10 years? 10 years. We had an acronym for it, my wife and I, and we would not say it out loud. We would just use the initials A-M-I, Airtight Mechanical Incorporated. But we wouldn't jinx ourselves by saying it out loud. So uh, for 10 years, when you know you have a bad day or maybe have a blue sky day of how good it could be, we use the AMI acronym to kind of keep us going. So was it like you decided at 10 years or was it say, hey, 10 years from now, I'm going to know everything I need to know and we're going to go? Like, what, what was it like? It was probably a little of both. Things happened in life. My dad passed away after a long battle with cancer or, or a short battle with cancer. I had a boss who I, for whatever reason, we didn't need to work together in the same office. I think he was a little worried that I was going to take his job one day, which I probably would not have because they they appointed a great guy who ran that company for a long time, Mark Wyndham, who Mark's just retired as well. But I think there was a, this this point of, okay, I'm learning as I go. And, and quite honestly, my dad and I, we talked about going into business together. But by the time I got enough industry experience, I went back to a, a community college uh, and got a little accounting knowledge. I was working on my business acumen. And then by the time I got technically savvy enough, I had a little bit of business knowledge. He had been diagnosed by that point. So the timing wasn't right. But, you know, I guess that really sat there and germinated for a little bit. And then like, voila, okay, now it's time to put the plan into action, even though Pop's not here, he would appreciate what we're doing. So it was a little bit of both. A little, and, and quite honestly, a lot of emotion around that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It sounds like you started in the field, the technician side, which you're understanding the the trade. Is it project management? I see sales in your background. You took so you basically went around all the aspects, right? Demand generation, operations, and and doing it profitably. I you know I tried to become more well rounded because growing up and going through the union apprenticeship school was a phenomenal experience understanding math and understanding science but there's these two-legged things out here in our world called humans that i had to really work on to learn and to this day still trying to to learn more about people that was a huge piece um i, I was so fortunate I, I was able to go to georgia tech uh had a program for for adult education and it was called Financial and Accounting for Non-Financial Managers. Great name. I'm joking. It was a horrible name, but the content was fabulous. There were people in there from, I'm, I'm talking some fairly high-ranking executives with Outback Steakhouse, uh, Lone, Longhorn Steak. Some of the, the, the brand names that we all know were sending their leadership through this program, and I was so fortunate to get to go through that. I was probably, no, I was the oddball in the group, but I, for once in my life, I shut up and I listened to what these men and ladies were asking our instructor. And man, I was sponging that course so hard. And um, I really, I, I just feel like that really put me on the launch pad. Okay, you've got the technical stuff because I love the freaking technical aspect of air conditioning 
anything mechanical, electrical, I have a good feel for. But when I got the, I felt like I was ready to go. You're never ready, but you think you're ready. So uh, two years into it, you realize, holy crap, I'm, I wasn't ready, but here we are. But that's kind of how we got to jumping off. It's time to go. Guns loaded as good as it's going to get loaded for a while. So it's either now or wait another 10 years. And I certainly didn't want to do that. Yeah. So when you made the leap, you know, you did all the preparation. What were the uh, experiences and learnings the first couple of years? Um, you never have enough cash. You always feel undercapitalized. And, you know, we did the friends and family thing. That's how we raised our funds. We had enough money in the bank to live on for a year. And then I was planning on doing a six month kind of a meet and greet tour. I really wasn't going to sell my services because I was uh, trying to honor the existing company and I didn't want to have a rub in the same city. So I worked on doing that. But once you get going and, and you're trying to utilize cash discounts for buying material and take 2% off your ticket here, if you can pay early, um, you like realize, man, I wish I would have had another hundred grand in the bank. But so what, but, you know, I say that, but the discipline that experience taught us uh, was how to be cash management savvy, how to work on collections really hard, how to work on over billings, understanding work in progress billing. So it was the best MBA that I've ever lived through without getting a degree. Yeah, for sure. Now, what about your notebook? You said you take notes on things that the questions you have and the things that don't make sense. What, what are the things that don't make sense to you right now relating to your, you know, this, the industry or other things? So I, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit to when I was a technician, I would see our fleet of vehicles out and about. Atlanta's a, you know, it's a big place, but we had, we had a lot of, a lot of trucks on the road. And it always baffled me of why we had truck crossing intersections with each other. I would see another tech coming from where I just went and vice versa and people crossing at intersections. So I really thought a lot about utilization and, and efficacy of the skill, uh, not just a tech equals a service call, but what tech and what service call and why. So really breaking down excuse me, really breaking down the the skills uh, of not just a journeyman or an apprentice, but what skills does the journeyman have and what what cog does he fit into so that we we put the right skill on the right problem? I think we were so unsophisticated as an industry, and I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about as an industry, we didn't understand fully how to best utilize our assets. So we spent a lot of time that didn't make sense driving and having the wrong guy at the wrong place without the parts he needed. So I just made a lot of logistical, I had a lot of logistical thoughts that I tried to put into action later uh, using GPS as a tool and not as a whip so that, you know, you walked in our office and we had a big screen up and you could see our fleet so that, any of our dispatch crew um, could look up and say, okay, I've got a tech over here that needs this. 
I've got a tech two miles away that probably has it. I'm going to phone him up. And instead of driving 20 miles, they can meet in the middle one mile each. And we're back on the job site a whole lot quicker. So just really trying to outsmart the inefficiencies of a business probably too early when we didn't have the tools to do it as well as we have now. That was, I guess that was one big thing. And then the other thing was the, the lack of willingness to embrace technology at the windshield level. You know, our, I'm proud to say that our company, we were early in the game of having computers and the trucks. We could print a work order in PDF format in the year 2001, and that was kind of unheard of for a small service company. We were, you know, we, we had uh, at our peak 40 people, uh, and we were doing things with 40 people that the OEM service groups weren't doing and probably may not be doing right now very well. But we would print the document because I've often thought and preached and, and tried to evangelize if a technician could walk into a facility and explain to the owner or the occupant what's going on in real English with a printed document that they could actually read, they tended to pay the bill quicker and I needed the cash flow. So maybe it was selfish. Maybe it was a, a thrust toward uh, pushing technology. But those are some of the things that I, I've always felt that hamstrung the HVAC service market that I really wanted to try to make a dent in. And uh, hopefully we did. Those are 2001 is great. What are the technologies and the things that you're either implementing or looking at now? So the company that I work for now, awesome company, Service Logic, it's on my shirt. We have about 6,600 employees across North America. About 4,000 of those are skilled workers. And we're utilizing a lot of different platforms. One that, that I think is really outstanding is called XOI. XOI allows us to use video uh, to capture the work in progress. It allows us to capture equipment inventories and then share that data, share it with our other technicians, share it with the customers, attach a, a, a little quick video to a proposal because not many people want to get on the roof to look at their AC. They have to trust what the technician's telling them. Our industry has had a habit or has a black eye sometimes around not being able to accurately communicate what's happening on the roof. Now we have a video link. We could show why the fan blade broke and what it did. So I think utilizing that technology is strong. There's a whole lot of analytical data that we can extract from that as well that helps us from a business process standpoint. And it communicates really well with our ERP systems across the fleet. Other technology, discovery sound technology, you know, historically, our industry has used vibration a lot to determine whether we have a problem with a fan or a bearing. This company based in Nashville, Tennessee, a great company, they actually use sound. So you have an amplifier and instead of a electrical probe, you're putting an amplifier probe on a piece of equipment. The computer ingests that sound, compares it to what that motor should sound like when it's healthy versus what it sounds like in the field. 
and it gives you a real quick red, yellow, or green indicator. So you can share with your customer, hey, you know, we're inching into the yellow. We need to start thinking about doing a fan bearing replacement before catastrophe. So just analytical tools that allow us to share and help our customers understand their systems better. And I'm talking service logic wise, but that's also systemically in the industry. We're just doing a lot better of sharing information. Yeah, that's perfect. Now, I know besides this, you're an advisory board member. I think you have some investments as well. How does that all work together? You know, so I sold my company to ServiceLogic in, in 2015, right, 2014, 2015. Our CEO, and he's still our CEO and just a, a super guy, Craig Steinke, he looked at me and he says, you know, what in the world do you really do? Because I had this portfolio of stuff that I did. I owned and operated Airtight Mechanical, which is the entity that they bought. But there's Adam Power hanging out there and there's all these little weird investments. And, and that's just fun to me. That's my hobby. The only natural hobby I have is fishing and I can't fish daily. So I do weird investments and I tinker. I'm kind of like, I don't know, a little bit psycho. I, I do micro investing in people. We're part of a coffee shop chain called Commonplace Coffee based in Pittsburgh, gravity-driven technologies. They're just all these things. And people look at me and they're like, what the heck does coffee have to do with air conditioning? And I said, absolutely nothing. But if you study Commonplace Coffee, you understand the science that TJ and his company delve into a brewing coffee, roasting coffee, and delivering a customer experience. And that customer experience is what I try to deliver on the air conditioning side. So it's really about servant mentality, you know, when you get right down to it. So Craig and company have been so gracious. They let me do this weird stuff as long as I take care of my day job, which I work really hard at because I enjoy it. You know, it's, it's just fun. Yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, like we can't all over-optimize for one thing, right? We got to do what comes naturally. Well, I find when I have too much free time, I don't do well. I get in trouble. So when I am uh, super duper busy, I'm better off. My wife is much happier because I'm not driving her nuts. But we'll do something crazy like this weekend. We're going to the mountains where, you know, we have a nice quiet time. I do have the uh, the Tesla satellite connection. I can't recall the name of it right now, but Starlink. I have Starlink, so I still get to play when I'm camping. But, uh, you know, it's just a very compartmentalized, but it's all in the cabinet. So the cabinet's my brain, and then the drawers are the different groups of things I get to work on. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just wacky. Love it. Now, when an entrepreneur talks to you about advice. What is a common piece of advice you give people? Understand how valuable the pause can be. That's something that it took me a long, long time to embrace. My natural style is yes, more now kick the door down kind of guy. As I have become seasoned, meaning old, I've really started to embrace taking a breath, taking a pause, making sure I know what I want to say before I just blurt it out. And, you know, a friend of mine, Butch D, he works for a company up in Pittsburgh called Ruth Roth. He and I have been friends for a long time. And 
you know, he's the kind of friend where you don't see him for a while, then you see him and you just pick up like it was yesterday. You know, it's just that kind of that kind of fit. Butch told me about two years ago, he said, you remember what you told me like 18 years ago about talking? And I said, no, I don't remember. He said that you, Greg, told me, Butch, that words are like bullets. Once you shoot them out of the gun, you can't pull them back. And the more I learn about people and the, and, and therefore the learn, more I learn about myself, words, man, are worse than anything you can hit somebody with. You hit somebody with a baseball bat, they usually recover. If you hit them with a barrage of, of derogatory comments or beating them up for no reason, probably not going to recover, not easily anyway. So I think that is what I try to share, especially with young leaders in the field, is uh, you're going to be leading your your buddies, the people you work with historically have been your peers. Now maybe you're going to lead them or attempt to lead them. So make sure you understand the art of communication. And this is a really profound time for us in the world because we're talking to and we're leading five generations of people that are maybe working at your company from an 18-year-old to a 78-year-old. And me trying to communicate the need for safety, for instance. Why is GFI, properly grounded equipment, right for, for a drop cord? How I communicate that to a 19-year-old young man versus a 68-year-old lady, that's two different ways to communicate. So I have to really use the pause and make sure that I know the delivery. And I think that that has been really the last few years I've worked on that. Once I understood how many different languages we were speaking due to the generational disparities, the differences that we have. So, and it's been a blast. I mean, it's really, you know, I grew up in a different time as an apprentice where we, we weren't treated very gingerly. We were, we were told things and we made sure to listen because you got, you know, might get thumped upside the head if you didn't listen. Different day and age now. So how do we communicate those things without using foul language, without, you know, demoralizing somebody? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything I didn't ask you, but you want to share? I want to share that I'm so excited by the, our youth and people always and probably for eons have talked about today's kids you know these dang kids this and these dang kids that i find and i think it's because i look for them great kids out there they're they're out there they may act a little differently than than what your expectations are of a rising star look like or sound like but we have a tremendous opportunity to usher in a new generation of worker a new generation of entrepreneurs that it's up to us as the people. I'm a baby boomer. I'm a, I'm the youngest baby boomer. I, I was born in 64. It, it's up to, to my group of people to grab somebody by the arm or give them a hug and walk them into the next phase of their life. If everyone would do that, we would be in such a better place of having employees that were applying for jobs that showed up for jobs that were excited about their careers because the the young folks that I do that with and I try to do it as much as I can I just I'm a, I want to be a you know I want to be a sounding 
outboard or an outward speaker for the industry and for trades in general, because we don't have enough people joining versus how many people are retiring. So, you know, the advice is if you, ha- if you have knowledge up here that you've earned through scar tissue and, and bleeding, give that away before you go to the lake for the last time. Give somebody your knowledge, give them your time, give them your talents, just give it away because nobody cares at, you know, Denny's when you're having breakfast with 20 retired guys, how good of a welder you were. Teach somebody that before you go and and have your coffee at Denny's forever. So that's my advice. There you go. Well said. Thank you so much, Greg. Well, I really appreciate it. I love to talk about the journey. You know, I feel so fortunate. I'm in my 41st summer of air conditioning. And um, I've just got so much, I don't know, exuberance yet to to do in this career, in this life, and to give away. So looking forward to uh, reaching more people and, and just trying to trying to pay it forward. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.